recorded live. Oh, good evening, everybody. This is Mike Delaney filling in tonight for William Fink on Chris Virginia Radio. Uh, today is July 14, 2012, and welcome tonight to this Saturday night, Saturday night edition. Uh, we also have a co-host with us, Severus, our AKA Corsican. Uh, we'll be getting into tonight. We'll be getting in a couple of philosophical points and ideologies, and uh, also some news topics. Um, one of the things we could go on with is uh, what's going on in Syria, but uh, without further ado, we'll go ahead and bring out Cyrus. How you doing tonight, Cyrus? Hey, how you doing? And I appreciate uh, you having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, no problem. <laughs> Thank you for joining as well. Uh, yeah, you know, one of the things that I want to start off with is uh, what's going on over in Syria. I've been seeing a lot of recent news articles that are stating uh He's got unauthorized weapons of sarin gas and uh, mustard gas. And, and I just got to thinking, man, that just sounds so, so familiar. I don't know, about nine years ago, I think we were hearing this exact same rhetoric about Iraq. And it turns out never was there, right? Yeah, exactly the same thing. <laughs> but, I mean, that people have a short memory, right? Well, that's yeah, that's what they're counting on, right? They're counting on everybody going, hey... I thought something like that happened, but okay, he's got. We need to go in there and liberate these peaceful rebels. Well, you know what? Is, it's funny because this, is, like I said, this is the same thing they pulled on uh, with Saddam and Iraq, and and it's an excuse to go in there. And you know, Bush even came on TV and admitted. You know, one of the reporters asked him, um, you know, what does 9/11 have to do with Iraq? And he said, nothing. <laughs> it's like nothing. And it was like, so what of it? But, uh, you know, so we've been in Iraq you know, pretty much since then, and I don't buy this mess that the, uh, this media hype that we cleared out of there. If you believe that, I have uh, some water from property in Arizona to sell you, but this is this is the retardedness of what's been going on. But this, this dates back quite a long time ago, back into the early 90s and probably even before that, where they had, you know, come up with these documents, uh, clean break documents, were, which were created out of the IESPS, which is an Israeli think tank. Uh, I believe off the top of my head it was Richard Pearl and Douglas Feist were co-authors, but don't quote me on that. It's just rusty memory on that part. But the document basically stated that uh, with, without getting in complete details, they were going to use America as a pawn to go into the Middle East, and the first thing they were going to do is Afghanistan, Iraq, then Syria, then Iran. Which, I mean, if you look back at these documents and look at what they've been doing and what they've been wanting to do and what they've been crying about doing, it's going right, pretty much right along as planned. There's, there's some argument that there's, things aren't going nowhere near as what they really planned because we should have already been to Syria and Iran a long time ago at this point. But, you know, this is this is the same garbage rhetoric that they pull all the time. Oh, the, just like they did, they, uh, did Libya. Oh, Libya's a dictator and... The rebels are trying to overthrow, and, and then you come to find out that some of these rebels were Israelis, and they even caught oh, one of the rebel uprisings they had in Egypt during the so-called Arab Spring was caught by the Egyptian police or military, and he was openly admitted to that this guy was an Israeli spy or Israeli military, and they they worked out a deal where they got him out of prison, but they exported him back to the or to the United States, 
You know, I, I remember seeing Fox News reports, you know, the Judeo-Christian channel, that, uh, you know, it's such a great thing that the, the poor Israelis, he was there fomenting this, these, uh, you know, these rebel groups and such, and I'd suspect highly that that's exactly what happened in Libya. And we almost have complete proof of that happening in Syria right now. And some of the recent news reports that came out on Press TV was uh, that there was 10,000 armed rebels being sent into Syria, which you know, it gets me to the point of how appallingly arrogant can these bastards be where they can you know, still sit here on the media and say this is a rebel uprising, as if, as if it's some uh, you know, leftist, peaceful, peacenik, hippies standing outside the White House lawn with signs and they're just getting mowed down. No, these are foreign military-trained troops with, mind you, American and Israeli firearms, you know, everything from, uh, I believe it's AR-4, no, not AR-15s, it would be M4s, but uh, M4s and rocket launchers and grenades and explosives. And one of the videos I just saw on LiveLeak was they actually raided in a house of, uh, and it was funny because the article said it was an Al-Qaeda cell that Syria busted up. Well, it wasn't an Al-Qaeda cell. These were just some of these so-called rebels, you know, these peacenik rebels, that they raided the house and they had all these, I mean, fully loaded M4s. I mean, you name it, the, the sights, the scopes, everything. These are nice rigs, you know. These weren't your... Uh, Stereotypical, uh, la 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 la, AK 47s, you know. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, this and this is the same, like I said, it's the same game all over again. It's like you said, Severus, and it's the, this population of, uh, of uh, accurately turned by the Jews, the Goyim cattle, you just don't get it. <laughs> I don't know if they are, I, you know, I, I remember when we went into Iraq. Well, then again, we had a, a white, supposedly white, you know, Christian Republican uh, supposed uh, president at the time. So, you know, all the multi-cult leftists didn't have a problem preaching against war. And as soon as they got their token black boy in the in the White House, then all of a sudden wars were great. We need to go liberate these people. I mean, they tried that with that Coney crap for a minute, but that didn't fly too far. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah the, the hypocrisy, it's... Uh... Um, pretty large, but remember, their objective is to destabilize the region because uh, the, the more um, chaotic the region becomes, the easier it is to hold power in Israel. So they re- they require chaos. Without chaos, there would be unity, and uh, with unity, they would be uh, they'll be in trouble. So this chaos is actually beneficial. That's and here and here's what happened. And I'm not calling it a prediction or anything, but here's what's going to happen. And I'm sure anybody that's paying attention at all sees this as well. But these rebels that are getting sent in, they're going to create more opposition. The, the media is going to pipe up more that uh, these so-called peaceful peaceniks with and all this crap are getting mowed down by the oppressive Assad regime. And they'll finally run and hammer us with enough propaganda that people will passively buy into the fact that we need to go in there, whether it be a NATO strike like they did in Libya. I mean, they just walked in there. You know, and there was a lot of uproar with the fact that it was a U.N. sanctioned thing, and the U.S. was just like, well, sure, U.N. runs us anyway, right? But, um, so, that, you know, this is this is what's going to happen. Is that obviously, could you imagine if this was going on in this country right now? You know, a, a bunch of us nationalists are rising up, and we're <laughs> going over there and, 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 shooting at D, and shooting at buildings in D.C. Uh, without getting too specific, because I don't want to cross any 
verbal boundaries there, but you know what I mean. You know, potentially uh, we got an uprising of people. We're not protesting, but that's what foreign media is saying. We're just protesting it, you know, uh, some kind of a million white nationalist march or something. But we're really armed to the teeth. We're shooting up the, you know, the, the, the D.C. Capitol and everything. And it reminds you that foreign media is going, yeah, we need to uh, assist these peaceful rebels. You know, they're trying to uh, overthrow the Obama regime. <laughs> and, and they start sending in you know, the German nationalists or shipping weapons over and, and, and paratroopers and stuff. And how good would that fly? I mean, how, would that sell? <laughs> I don't know. But. No, of course not. Of course it wouldn't sell, but, but again, this doesn't have to make sense because this is not an issue of reason and logic because the population is not logical nor reasonable because most people don't really fall into that category. Most people just, um, you know, lead their life via emotions, right, and very petty kind of superficial emotions. So they don't really think, and, and actually expecting a lot of people to, to think is sometimes even somewhat ludicrous because uh, <laughs> usually they don't. Um, so usually that's why the best propaganda tends to be emotional because um, logic and reason are not very popular, right? And what's interesting about this whole fight is considering, and this is what I find interesting about the Syria thing, is the party, right? The Ba'ath party. The Ba'ath party is the same party that was in Iraq, right? Saddam Hussein's party was the Ba'ath party. And this party is the same party in Syria because they've been dominating the region. I mean, they've, they had, uh, they've been running countries for since 1947, right? I mean, on and off. Um, so you have in Syria a president and a government that is basically run by the secretary of the Ba'ath party, right? And it's the same, it's the same exact party that Saddam Hussein was a member of and all his cadre was a member of. So the United States are able to convince the population that to not even know that, right? That just, oh, Saddam Hussein himself is the, the evil puppet. We go in there, we take him out, but we still stay friendly with Syria for a while because they're not on the plate yet. Um, and nobody seems to notice that there's a clear inconsistency because it's almost like, uh, you know, the Nazis are evil, but, but they're like the Nazis run France, but we have to topple the Nazis in Germany, but the Nazis in France are okay. Uh, but now it's the turn of the Nazis in France, right? But no one points out the fact that all these countries were run by the same parties. And then these parties are actually leftist parties, which is, makes a point too. Because the, the argument about civil rights and all this is, is somewhat ludicrous, considering that these are not kind of like monarchical oil states, right, that are ran by these uh, despots that, that, that basically, you know, run everything with, with slaves or something, right? Uh, we're actually talking about um, somewhat progressive type nations, right? I mean, in comparison to what they could be, right? Um, but they don't care about that because, again, the point is not really that they're bad or good. It's not even a moral issue. It's actually an issue of advocating chaos and destruction because the more chaotic and the more destructive the region is, the more division you find, and therefore the easier it is for a bandit to survive. And Israel is a bandit state. And you have to destabilize the region to survive. You have to see it almost like a business. You have to see it um, like a gangster. If you're going to go in, you have to create chaos in everyone else's business, Right. And if you do that, you'll achieve um, your own nook, right, in the game, and you can survive longer if you just keep the other guys destabilized. And it's not an issue of morality. And, we, we have, and Americans have to learn to, to, to disconnect a certain level of uh, morality when it comes to how they view the world. In other words, they have an expectation that the, uh, that the United States acts morally or immorally, very kind of 
kind of cut, uh, you know, black and white type of thing without realizing that most international actions are not led by any of these things. They're led by practical uh, men whose only desire is to, to have more power. And, and doing these things sometimes just enhances power. They don't, give, they don't care if we're like Mandela or, uh, you know, the, the guy, uh, I don't know, like the Buddha himself running the country. As long as he's in the middle of it, you have to destabilize him. Well, and it, you know, you pointed out that the population works on emotion, and it, I'd just like to highlight one of the key points that I've seen this happening uh, just around the 9-11 scene. Uh, for those of that will remember, when uh, Chris Bolin was... Sorry about that. Uh, when Chris Bolin was interviewed by CNN, um, you know, they wanted to paint him out to be an anti-Semite and all this stuff. Well, one of the key things they brought up was that there was warning on 9-11 of the attacks happening. And this was in an Israeli newspaper in Herat. So, they, you know, of course they interviewed Chris Bolin and chop them all up and make him look, uh, you know, that he really didn't say anything of substance. And then they go and interview this uh, old Jewish man in New York with the con- the evidence was was that no Israelis died in the tower that day. Well, the generic conspiracy was no Jews died, which isn't true. There was American Jews that died in the tower, but not Israeli Jews. So, and that was because the the instant messenger company had set out the warning from Israeli phones and not American cell phones. Well, they go and interview this, you know, they get into this emotional point here, is they go and interview this uh, father of a Jewish police officer that died in the towers. And he and what they do is they, instead of ever addressing anything intellectual uh, or factual on the topic, they go, oh, this this is disgusting, there's a anti, vicious anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Oh, here's a bone they found of my son on a nearby tower. See this bone? This bone. And, and so they elicit that it is disgusting and vile, and, and they want you to look at that bone and, and think emotionally, like, how dare we do that? Well, it has nothing at all to do with it. It's the same with the Holocaust. I mean, they used the heck out of that with the Holocaust. Thing. Look at these pictures of dead bodies. How dare these people question the event? And that's, that's how they play. That's how they get people programmed, is this, these emotional levels, which is why they are so successful with the feminist-type movements and, and, and aiming towards women in society, because they are more emotional creatures. They put them up on a pedestal, and uh, before you know it, you got a 70-plus percent divorce rate, women dressing like whores, so on and so forth, as the story goes. But, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, is, that certainly is a, is a complete and accurate statement about how they play on emotions. You know, and it's, but this serious, this serious thing is is going to happen. Now, you were saying I, I didn't catch a second of that, but were you were you bringing up the 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 National Socialist Party in theory by any chance? Just no, no, no. I, I was mentioning the Ba'ath Party, which is the party that rules Syria, right? And okay, this party okay. is the same party that Saddam Hussein was a member of. He's part of. He was part of the party. Is the party that ruled Iraq. And a lot, one of the arguments that was used is that the Ba'ath party was like the Nazi party and that it had to be toppled because the party itself, not only that, but they actually, the, the, the Americans actually went after even like minor level party guys because the argument was that this was like the new Hitler and therefore this is like the new Nazism. But nonetheless, in Syria, um, when, when, um, when the new elections came along, everyone was praising Syria, even after the Iraq war. They were praising Syria, saying that the president is a nice guy, the younger guy. 
Um, but this guy's the secretary of the same freaking party. We're talking about the same party. And what I'm, I'm making, poking fun of is that they, they, they know so well that the American population is so underwater when it comes to these things, right? They don't care. They'll, they'll, they'll mock you right in your face. They'll tell you, like, the most ludicrous, stupid things on the planet, and, and they assume, and, and correctly assume, that you don't know what the hell they're talking about. And, and therefore, they'll they can do whatever they want with the population because the population is too ignorant. And the problem is that the guys that should be informing them, a lot of us, that's our job, and that's what we're doing, kind of informing the population, saying, yeah, you guys are you know, idiotic, wake up, you know, are you morons or something? You know, we all have different styles of communicating, right? Some of us are approaches to slap them around, you know, try to wake up, and, and others try to just softly encourage them to think, right? But the point is we, we should, that's our job, to basically tell them, look, uh, you have to understand these things. Well, you know what? I'd, I'd have to agree with him to a certain aspect of Bastian neo-Nazi, as they say, right? And only because, which is why I was asking if you had brought up the National Socialist Party there, which is, it's a party percentage per capital-wise is much larger than even Golden Dawn is in Greece. And it's, uh, it's completely modeled after Hitler's National Socialist. As a matter of fact, their party's flag is... is is about as close to a swastika as you can get. It's rounded off. It looks more like a Chinese star. And uh, if, if you want to look at the flag itself, it's right on the front of my website at prothing.org. It's the top article about all this serious stuff right now. But at the bottom of that article, you see the flag there. It, they have, you know, other than the racial uh, lines, you know, of, of, uh, you know, being strictly Germanic or whatever it have you, but... They certainly have the political platform of, of national socialism, you know, right out of Germany in, in, during uh, the 30s. And yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, and, and that has been linked. That there, there's been a lot of key members. I was from the little bit of my uh, Jewish Wikipedia research I could do that there has been ties with this party and the Bath Party that the Bath Party is accepting a lot of the ideology supposedly of. This. Already has, yeah. Already has. Yeah. The Ba'ath Party was originally a national socialist. I mean, in the in the true political sense, nationalistic and socialistic. It was a national socialist type party, uh, but it it did have a cool. In other words, it did have a, a a wing of it, almost like the same thing in Germany, right? Where we have like a very dramatic left wing, um, and the left wing actually split with them and they had a big fight. And what's ironic is that Syria and Iraq are the ones that kept like the purity of the party, and then the left wing kind of separated one of their own. And that right wing side of the Ba'ath Party are basically Syria and Iraq. Iraq was taken over, so now we're talking about Syria. Um, and, and that is interesting. But the, but the party itself, and if you look at their flags, etc., a, a lot of them did use the, the black, white, and red, which is the color of, uh, of the, the second rank, right, of the, of the, the second German Empire, if you will. Um, so there is some connection, right, because Hitler was friendly with uh, a lot of, uh, of these countries, the Muslim countries at the time especially, right, um, when it came to their to right independence and the right to, to, um, to fight against colonialism and also uh, against the, the Jewish encroachment in Israel, right? So, so they did have uh, these things in common. Uh, but, but, I don't, but, again, I, didn't, I think that's overanalyzing it in the sense that these people don't care who it is. It could be like the, the, you know, the Soviet socialist liberal party of Syria, and if they're paying the ass, they'll, they'll try to destroy them, too. For them, it's just about destabilizing. But, yes, Syria does have a... Uh, the, the only problem with Syrian social nationalists, which is their name, it's kind of cool, they inverted the name, 
um, is that the, they was founded by an Orthodox, right? An Orthodox Christian. And that's a little complicated because a lot of Muslims don't trust Orthodox uh, Christians. So, because of the religious thing. So, it makes it interesting, but I think that if you wanted to pick, if you were a Muslim over there, you probably pick the Ba'ath Party just because it's a Muslim concept, right? A Muslim thing. Uh, but it's still secular. In other words, it's still not a very religious party. It's somewhat of a secular party. So America should like it, right? I mean, within this context of wanting a party, it's like, but Americans don't care and Jews don't care because they don't care about any of this because they're very practical. All they care about is creating chaos, uh, you know, putting puppets in, in power and keep going, right? Well, w- would you agree with the fact then that, um, or, or would you say that it would be more accurate to say that like a country like Libya and and Syria are self-sufficient and they're not playing by the Jew rules, the international rules of of either banking or or whatever have you, and that would be the reason. I mean, the destabilization thing is true. I mean, they don't want to have anybody with power, but the reason these countries do have power and they're not under the thumb of them already is because they're not playing with within their uh, within the Jewish reigns, basically. Yeah, of course. I mean, and a lot of it has to do with with uh, elements of the religion, right? Because uh, usury is not allowed in Islam. Now, you do have some countries like uh, Saudi Arabia who have like really interesting techniques of getting around it, right? Um, and they so they can play ball with Western power because if not, they couldn't play ball, right? Uh, but a lot of the more traditionalist type of like I'm thinking more of Iran, right? It's a Shia country, but still they're very traditional. Uh, countries like that, they they don't have uh, what you would call maybe a Jewish system of finance. And therefore, they're, they're a problem. But I don't think they're, that's uh, just my personal opinion. I don't think that their lack of participation in banking really affects Jews really that much. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's a good market to go in. But I don't think Jews sit around at the table and say, hey, we have a big market for rugs. Let's go in there and sell them a bunch of stuff, right? And they have crappy banking. Let's remove their banking. Yes, I mean, if they can, they can. But I think there's a, 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 more, a more simplistic aspect to it, which is simply that you cannot have an organized, successful, non-Jewish-influenced state having military powers and being used as a focus of organization and unity. You have to destabilize it so you can survive. Um, so that would be the route. So you have to just go there and destroy them. But I, the banking thing, in my opinion, would probably be secondary to, to, just, to just basically not having a state that is organized and, and a good example. That was one of the things I actually wanted to bring up when we were speaking of the Middle East and all the crap going on. Uh, One of of two countries that are always thrown up in the air is where they stand is Russia, which is the Middle East, obviously, but Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is a big power there, and I think it's it's underestimated and forgotten about, but they certainly have a a little bit of pull there. What what is your take as far as where they stand uh, militarily, politically, uh, as far as the Jews go, um, and so on and so forth. Well, Jews hate the hell out of Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia, would, you could probably make the case that it's one of the most successful Islamic countries. Um, it's definitely one of the, the, the richest, right? And it's pretty stable. I mean, financially, it's a country that if you go there, you, you, you can see it, you can feel it. It's a very financially stable country. It's not a, like You don't go and people are like in the streets, you know, begging for bread, that type of thing, right? Um, they're financially secure, and also they have a monopoly of the two most important spiritual centers in Islam, right, Mecca and Medina. So they have a control of that area, and they accrue a lot of revenue from pilgrimages, right, which is one of the five pillars of Islam. You have to do your pilgrimage. So they already have a monopoly of that market. 
It makes them very wealthy because if they manage it correctly, they're okay. Now, radical Muslims don't like Saudi Arabia because they consider them to be uh, treacherous in the sense that they actually speak with the Jews and radical, you know, jihadist type radical uh, Islamists don't like it, right? Um, and they don't like them allowing American bases in Saudi Arabia. That's one of the reasons uh, um, you had a lot of uh, trouble with radical Muslims because they thought that was treason as well. Um, so you do have some level of conflict, but at the same time, it's one of the most respected states in that world. It's economically very secure, but the Jews are not going to mess with them yet because they are too powerful, and they hold Mecca, and this is very important to them. In other words, it's, it's almost like if the Jews went to the Vatican and started trying to promote the United States and invade the Vatican, some crazy shit like that, right? It, it, it would, you, would have, you, you can bet you would have hundreds of thousands of Irishmen with machine guns trying to fight off, right? Uh, so you don't want to piss off these guys too much. They'd rather go with these other states and, and actually use radicals to say, oh, Syria government is still like a secular government, so they suck, we should put a, a more radical Islamic. And, and they actually just create chaos like that. Saudi Arabia, I think it's, it's, it's a very stable state, but I, I can legitimately say Jews don't like it. Because I've read a lot of the stuff that the Jews write about internally, what, what they communicate in their newspapers is what I mean. And, and the way the, 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 the so-called Jewish strategists political strategists talk about it, and they really freaking hate Saudi Arabia. Um, and I think it's I didn't even consider, that's a very good point you brought up there, is I didn't even consider the fact that Mecca's there, and uh, yeah, that would be like attacking the Vatican with their, you know, all Vatican's or Catholics around the world. I mean, that would no. Yeah, that would really. That, yeah, <laughs> that, that would really. End. I didn't even think about that as a strategic point. Yeah, they can't mess with the Mecca unless no. they're really ready no, to set can't. it on fire. <laughs> no, no, you can't. If you wanted to really create the biggest mess in the world, not only that, but just try to just land non-Muslim troops, right, and just march them near Mecca and forget about it. The whole Islamic world will start killing everybody, right? So it's it's that type of thing. So they're very well protected because. They're the stewards of that location. Muslims from all over the world know they are, and they respect them enough to, to, to be happy with them because they have kept it nice, because they have actually done a pretty good job in maintaining it, making it pretty comfortable for pilgrims. Um, uh, you know what I mean? In other words, they've been good stewards of the location. So therefore, uh, Muslims around the world like it, but that's the holiest place in Islam. And the second is still there. The second is Medina. So you have like the two holiest places in Islam are those two and it's within their territory. So it's difficult to mess with them because any type of invasion, any type of troops, any type of bombing, even near that place, it will be like the end for them, right? Uh, they would even take the, 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 the softest, like a gay Muslim will try to kill you, that type of thing, right? So you, you, it's a difficult thing to do. And it will be the same thing like with the, like I, I use the example of Vatican, and I think it will be even worse because uh, – the only tough guy Catholics that we have left in the world will be what the, the Irish and, and some of the Spanish, right? That would be it. Um, but, but imagine doing that like a hundred years ago. That would have been a big mess, right? What one of the things I don't understand is how come Saudi Arabia doesn't flex a little? Like you, you got a Ahmadinejad in Iran that'll will flex about the the 9/11 issue, obviously the Holocaust issue, and and Jews in general once in a while, but. You don't hear that too much coming out of Saudi Arabia. I mean, I, I suppose no, their leader no, and certainly. They, yeah, and that's why they accuse them of, of, that's why the more, you know, radical, if you want to call them that, fundamentalists, um, criticize them because they feel they should be proactive. Even though 
Saudi Arabia is a lot more conservative than almost any other country, right? Uh, because they're Wahhabis. Wahhabis are a, a very radical school of uh, Islam. They're actually, I would argue, one of the most radical schools of, of Islam. And you never hear the Western powers actually talking about women because women can drive, that type of thing, right? Oh, women can drive, everyone's abused, homosexuals are killed, which they are. Uh, you know, people that do petty crimes, their hands are cut off. They do it in public, like in stadiums. I mean, uh, no one talks about these things. In other words, Saudi Arabia actually does like worse, quote unquote worse. I'm talking about within like this liberal context. Worse things that Syria, Lebanon, all those guys combined. But they won't mess with them because they're too powerful and they're actually strong. And they're not a republic. They're actually a monarchy. And believe it or not, that makes them actually even more efficient as a state. Um, I don't think, I think believe it or not in, in jest. I actually believe monarchies are better than republics. But, um, but they function a lot better. Um, so because they're functioning a lot better, it's difficult to mess with. At least for now, if they destroy the rest of the Middle East, they'll, they'll come for, for them later. Well, yeah, I'd completely agree. A monarchy is far better than a than a republic, and certainly a democracy. But um, well, that is interesting that that's uh, where Saudi Arabia kind of clears things up. I never calculated that uh, aspect in. Now, I guess since I brought it up, what about the whole Russia thing? There's there's you got some people out here that are saying Russia is uh, quietly completely against the Jews, and then you got people like Roman Abranov or Abranich or whatever how you say his name rolling around a half-billion-dollar yacht, you know, being a Russian tycoon is Jewish. Yeah, I don't see a lot of hope in Russia as a government, but I do see a lot of hope in Russia, the people, in the sense that you do have a, a, the masses in Russia are a lot, um, you know, closer to being awakened, and they're pretty awake in a lot of things. In other words, in comparison to Americans, they're, like, out there. They're, like, white nationalists, right, <laughs> in comparison. Um I mean, which is, I mean, it's not that great of a comparison. Americans in general are, like, completely unaware of most things, right? Um, but they're pretty up there. In other words, the masses in Russia are still pretty cohesive. Uh, um, it's a somewhat homogenous society. Um, so the masses are pretty good. The political movements are, are pretty cool, right? Uh, you have a, a diversity of them, which is good in the beginning, right? Eventually, start unifying, creating better funds. But the government is corrupt, and it's basically like an American government, and I don't really trust it. Yeah, I don't think they're capable of doing anything. And, and unless they were, they were put so much pressure from the populace, and then they, they then would maybe adapt, but it would still be corrupt. In other words, most governments in, in the world and, and within, our, you know, within our world, within our racial world, um, must be toppled over and replaced. There, there's no salvation for a lot of these governments. Um, because they've been, they've been structured in a way that they're... Um, that they're, you know, easy pick for uh, people that want to corrupt them. So I don't, I don't see any government, and even the monarchies that are left, which are pretty sad because there's not that many, and the ones that are left are basically castrated, right, um, castrated monarchies. You really have strong monarchies anymore uh, in Europe. So the, the king or the queen is there, but it's like they're not there. It's basically a republic with a, with a monarch sitting there. It's, it's something well, actually yeah, pathetic. Well, yeah, the Jews got just so bold nowadays. It used to be where they'd get a crypto Jew to marry in and try to figure their way into to being in that spot in the monarchy. But, you know, that was really difficult. Now it's just a matter of, well, yeah. we have enough control. Let's just go in and destroy the country and install the person we feel is fit. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Well, that's the thing. That's the reason they advocated and promoted Republican governments. Because Republican mm -hmm. governments are easier for them to infiltrate 
And how many, and, and I think we discussed this uh, before, how many Republican governments uh, have gone through uh, programs, right? How many monarchies have, have you know, placed the programs, right? So, um, oh, we were speaking about this, but we were speaking off the show. It was not in the show. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's, to, be, to be honest, it, this is really what they did. The, 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 the Protocols of Elders Design specifically addressed monarchy, right? Um, in Russia, they wanted to take out the czar, right? Uh, in France, they wanted to take out the king. In Spain, they did exactly the same thing. They removed uh, the monarchy and placed a republic. This is what they do historically. Now, Americans feel very, and maybe with this, we can maybe segue uh, get into the whole libertarian thing because it's interesting. Um, but Americans are like in a different planet from this because the United States was founded by these type of characters in, in the sense that they were like pro-Republican type characters, right? Um, so because the United States comes from that tradition, Americans feel that that is like the, the, the best thing in the planet, right? Because they come from an anti-monarchical tradition, anti-authoritarian tradition, so-called. Um, and therefore, to them, it's incomprehensible. You know, it's, so a lot of white nationalists and regular Americans, when you speak about these things, you're thinking, wait a minute, but the Tsar was kind of a bad guy, right? wasn't he? That type of thing. Or wasn't the king of France kind of a bad guy? Because they, they can't help themselves, they can't help themselves to see these things within that, that dynamic. And I think that's exactly the reason why white nationalists have to divorce themselves from the United States. They have to get a divorce from these values of the founding fathers, which I think are toxic. And if they do, well, they can have a refreshed view of these things. Now, what would you say to somebody that says that, well, although there's uh, agreeable that there's flaws in, in being a constitutional republic, there's certainly a lot of them, the whole foundation's flawed, but what do you say to the people that say, well, we're not even a constitutional republic no more? You'll, you'll have some that say we're a democracy. I'd be more apt to say that we're neither completely, that we're a hybrid of you know, Marxist communism, democracy, and republic. We've, the, the Jews have been able to take the worst aspects of all these institutions and, and, and turn them into a, almost like a hybrid here in the country where it's this illusion that it's a democracy. It's this illusion that it's uh, you know, solely a constitutional republic and, 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 a, and, a, and even communism for that matter. I mean, there's just raw communism. I, I, Probably be better than what we have now, but um, yeah, because has never, yeah, because has never existed. No, I agree. The, the thing is, this is this is kind of like what libertarians argue, right? And this is the, the common argument that a lot of patriots argue, which is no, it sucks, but it's because it's not the original thing, right? <laughs> that kind of argument. But the thing is, the reason that it sucks now is because it, it kind of always sucks. It just it sucks worse now. In other words, it's an issue of, of degrees, um, and and the reason is because. The idea itself of democracy and the idea itself of republicanism are themselves uh, illusions. And because they're illusory, they really are, and we can get into it if, if people are interested. But I, but I believe they're illusory because they've never existed truly. They're utopian ideals. Um, and usually they're very good for the masses. See, this is like great sales, salesmanship, right? You go to a, you go to a guy in a corner who's a, a working fit and you tell him, look, Aren't you tired of being screwed by your boss? Aren't you tired about being abused and not, not being able to have, you know, six days a week free? That's what I said, right? And the guy said, yeah, well, I'm working a day a week. That's awesome. Where do I sign up? That's what I um, So he said, look, this new movement we're going to call, we're going to call it the freedom movement. Sounds awesome. Oh, yeah, I would like freedom. Perfect. 
So what, this is what well, we're going to do. That's number one in the protocols right there. If you read the protocols, you'll see how they misconstrued the word freedom and liber- liberty and all that. Yeah, it's it's just the yeah, liberty. You can have liberty and freedom to be a pedophile or a dauphine or you know, all these other degenerate things in society. But, yeah, the, the freedom that most of these uh, patriots are, they like to call them, um, yeah, that's it's a myth. Yeah, because because freedom itself is, is somewhat of an illusion, and, and so that's why you can sell it however you want. Because it, because these are terms that don't mean anything. It's like the term hope. What does it mean? Uh, and there's certain terms that are so vague that you can put any meaning to them and people will buy it um, if it feels good. And it goes back to the emotional thing. Um, so then, yeah. Well, Severus, remember when I was, we were on T-Speak the other night, and I was telling, I forget, we were talking to a few people, and we brought up the fact that white nationalists are, are, are very, and it's still some of the Jewish brainwashing, but very arrogantly independent-minded in a sense. They, they, they have a very difficult, uh, which is why we're in a position we're at, to be collective. And, you know, I made the point that it's leader follow, and more than likely you're going to have to follow, a.k.a. submit. And... They, you know, you'll hear a lot of flack from that. Oh, I'm not submitting. I'm my own person. Blah 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 blah. You're submitting to Jews right now. What do you mean you're not? You try not paying your property taxes, staying in your house for more than a couple of years. Try to, you know, try not uh, uh, try to try to drive 100 miles an hour down a 25 mile an hour street, or you know, just try to do anything that the Jews say you're not supposed to do. Is, is and tell me that you're your own person. You're not submitting. You know, and so this idea that. You know the the submission, and I, and I say that as a word that sounds ugly too. Like I'm not submitting, but you have to. You're gonna have to submit. You're just gonna have to submit to a cause that is going to be more in line with your views. You know, and that's what's going to benefit you in a roundabout way, anyway. So yeah, because uh, because because the American, and again, a lot of this has to do with Jews, but some of it don't. So some a lot of it is our own flaws because. A lot of a lot of it is childishness. We're a little childish. We we really want to believe that no one should have authority over us, that uh, we're our own person, that we can be whatever we wish to be, that our dreams can come true. A lot of pathetic things. If you think about it, they're pretty pathetic. They're they're funny. Uh, and, and you can all be the this, president. Yeah, and actually, when you, when I'm saying this, I bet you money that there's people cringing when I'm saying this because they feel, oh my God, he's 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 talking against hope and dreams. You know, I'm like the Grinch. But the truth is that there's a difference between realistic goals and dreams, right? These are two. Now, it's okay to dream when you're a child. It's not okay to dream when you're an adult and have children because then you're just a lunatic, right? Uh, So you have to have a balance, but you have to understand that there is a difference between a child and an adult. There's a difference between a woman and a man type of thing. And a lot of times, Americans are basically childish. And all this thing, I'm, no one tells me what to do. I'm not going to follow authority. Who are they to tell me what I should think? Who are they to tell me they know more than me? That type of thing. It's basically childishness. The children think that way, but eventually they grow out of it when they realize, shit, this guy really knows more than me. <laughs> this guy's more successful than me, or this guy runs faster than me, whatever. This guy fights better than me. I guess I should have well, a like, it's like wife, saying you know, that type of thing. Well, it's like the old saying, you know, a, a teenager always knows it all, right? <laughs> you yeah, know, when you're when you're yeah. when you're a teenager, you know everything, then you know, and you always got somebody that's older and them going, "Oh, you haven't figured out anything yet." Yeah, exactly, exactly. And but the thing is, collectively, our people are ch- children right now, and and 
it's not, that's why a lot of times here people, oh, I got out of that movement or a thing because they, they thought they could tell me what to do or they wanted me to do things. And, who, you know, I'm like, are these people nuts? I mean, this is what adults have to go through. And if you don't want to go through it, then you actually have to work at it. If you don't want to have a boss, you better become a boss yourself or shut up, right? And, 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 and sometimes there's that element of, of, uh, of childishness, just pure childishness. So, and libertarianism kind of feeds into it. Because libertarianism is a form of childishness. You know, the other day I was talking to uh, Bob from Nibiru, and um, we were bringing up the fact that, how can I put this? We were talking about how you have a system that would uh, possibly even just be an intermediate system right now to to mold into. And we were talking about how the Byzantine Empire lasted, what, some 1,100-plus years, but they had made the stipulation, unlike this so-called constitutional republic, that Jews were not allowed to be in finance, education, and in politics, I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken. And that that's why they're able to hold off for, you know, 10, 11 centuries there. And but that still left the door open that they could be a society, and well, that, that empire fell. But I think it lasted for plenty long enough. I mean, empires are going to fall regardless. But wouldn't an intermediary type of system like that be necessary uh, before you have a, a radical one, or do you think you could go straight to radical? Um, well, it depends on the situation. So the problem with that question is that. It's, it's, it's so dependent on the, the historical event, uh, the historical context, right? Um, if you're talking about if you're talking about the distinction between uh, uh, a transitional system in which Jews can do certain things but not others, is that what you're describing? And then the other one would be like you can't do anything. Is that what you're describing? Well, yeah, they would actually be completely out of the picture. I mean, yeah, well, of course, well, of course, yeah. Then, yeah, well, of course. Then I would go with the, the latter, right? Because you can't. Well, yeah, things. that would ultimately be the goal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that would be the goal for those knowing. But here's here's the relation I make because a lot of people say, well, you know, in Nazi Germany they weren't uh, national socialist Germany. They weren't able to basically go forth against putting Jews in camps immediately and all that. And a lot of that had to do with the simple fact is that you're going to need the mass population to support the government. You're going to have to have their trust. And quite frankly, none of, most of the mass population, as we know, is never going to be radical. They're never going to agree to radical things. And if, if you piss them off to a degree, they're going to revolt on you. So you have to have, I would imagine, a transitional type government before you can get to a radical type one. Yeah, but it's going to depend on the country, right? In other words, there's countries that, that are more prone to radicalism than others. I mean, ethnicities in Europe, for example. Uh, you can't get a Frenchman to do the same thing you can get a, 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 I don't know, a Russian. You know what I mean? So people are different. Probably a Russian will be a lot more radical quicker, but they do have a history of radical-type governments, right? Um, the French yeah. don't. So we're talking about completely different people. If we're talking about Americans, forget about it, because the problem with Americans is that they, they have no tolerance and no understanding of actual functional, centralized, true government, right? So to, to Americans, any whiff of I can't eat my nachos and, and, and do whatever I want is going to scare the shit out of them, right? Um, uh, but I do understand what you're saying. The thing is, in Germany, it was different because in Germany, there was not a law that said, uh, there was not a requirement for Jews to, 
get out. Jews, a lot of them actually got out willfully because they didn't want to be in that environment because they couldn't survive. If you cut off their, their air supply, right, they, they'll die. If they can't do business, if they can't function in radio and newspapers, they can't really do what they do, what's the point of them being there, right? Now, a lot of them did stay because they still believed that under Nuremberg laws they could still function because legally they could. I mean, they couldn't marry uh, uh, Germans. Uh, they couldn't hire German girls, for example, to work at their home as a, as a servant or something. Um, they, they couldn't um, own a lot of property, and their citizenship was like a, like a provisional kind of visa type of citizenship. They could visit, they could kind of live there, but they couldn't function in government, that type of thing. Um, but well, they still live there. Well, I suppose, too, in a sense that when I'm speaking of if you were running a centralized radical government and you pissed people off to have a revolt, the tables can be turned in that scenario as well. Say you have a hardcore Jewish uh type run government like we do here, you could have a radical revolt that could turn it radically the opposite. Yeah, so you course. yeah, you could go so you, you could, have that you transitional could, But but you don't have to. The thing is a lot of people think in a caricaturesque way because it doesn't you don't have to make a statement as new law. Jews have to leave in twenty four hours or you're dead. You know that type of thing, right? I mean it's it's all, all those all those type of measures are unnecessary because in the moment that the the state becomes uh, unfriendly when it comes to their ability to do financial things, okay, okay, and and most Americans and most people wouldn't feel uncomfortable about financial measures, right? They wouldn't feel, oh, you're just restricting Jews to own the media, yeah, but the media is corrupt, so screw them, right? That's something. Uh, they would automatically feel uncomfortable about living in this type of environment because they can't do the things they do. Now, you would still have a, a group of them in the population that would still stay because it could probably be like the lower-end Jews, the Jews don't really care, they don't have that much power, uh, and they decide to stay. Of course, after after World War II, I don't think most Jews would stay in a, in a nation that clearly doesn't want them, right? I think they would take off, conceptually speaking, and they would they would try to create a system, uh, you know, get allies to basically attack you and kill you. Um, so they would probably start working on that for a long time, and you better be prepared to defend your, your, your territorial integrity because they will do their best to destroy you. And I think in that situation, then it will be easier to then radicalize because in the moment that you know that these people are the ones who are trying to kill you and destroy you, et cetera, then you do have to remove from the population, which is what happened in Germany. What I'm describing is exactly what happened in Germany. At first, Germany said, yeah, screw them. I mean, who cares? I'm getting rich out of uh, the German people and, you know, you know, screw them. Then little by little, they start attacking uh, try to strangle Germany financially and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, these guys are our enemies. No, 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 get them out of the streets because they could be spying on us, they could be trying to destroy the government, you know, something. So it's a slippery slope into that, into that point. What do you think is, is probably going to be the most important thing for a short-term goal right now that, say, anybody listening could do over the a short period of time, you know, let's say the next few months or the next year or so? Um, participate in the destruction of the state. In other words... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Go ahead. I, I mean, I guess, I, guess I, I, I did the conclusion first before explanation. Yeah, I mean, that would be it. That would be it. Because in the sense that, in this sense, right, okay, leftists do this all the time. So I'm actually speaking in that context. Radical leftists dedicate almost their, all of their energies in looking for ways to destroy the United States, right? 
And we know it, and conservatives know it. That's why they're bitching all the time. Oh, they're trying to destroy America. Let's bring America back. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous type of thing. Um, and a lot of us actually fall into that. Let's bring America back. Like, what? Which one? The guys with the wigs and the slaves? Uh, no, the guys afterwards with the, the pistol, the, the, the revolvers, and the killing Indians. Which, which America do you want? Um, and all of them had Jews somewhere in banking, right? I mean, let's be honest. Um, so, or do you really want just to create something new? So I think if, if white nationalists do really want a new, fresh start, which is what we want, a, low, a, a, a state in which we can actually uh, refresh our numbers, right, and, and, you know, have a breathing space and have a nation that is uh, it's what we want, um, then we're going to have to work for it. But we can't work for it within this thing. We're going to have to actually participate, just like the leftists, in pushing the beast along to its death, right, kind of pushing it close and close to the precipice, fall, fall, please die, die already, right? Um, and in that sense, any participation, and it can be passive participation, in other words, propaganda, uh, writing, but these are like passive things. But you can actually do it in general, disparaging the values of the United States, disparaging them, literally saying to people, ah, screw them, screw the 4th of July, something, right? It creates a general sense in the population that the United States doesn't matter anymore, that these values are meaningless and worthless, because in our opinion, they are. Uh, it may not be to a lot of these fools, but it really is. And if we keep clinging to this cadaver, we're going to be dead, right, quicker than anybody knows. So we actually kind of have to participate in its own destruction um, and kind of let it go. In other words, we have to let go of this thing, this monster, and, and kind of look forward to when it falls finally and we can actually have the, the coming balkanization of the United States and we can actually pick a side and, and have a place. And, and, and then the rest of white people that are not radicals, right, the normal white people, they remember that there are these guys they've heard about that, um, that talk about creating a, a nation that will not let this crap happen again, that type of thing. So it's kind of our job to say that this is what we're doing and, and kind of push along this beast until death and not try to survive, not try to resuscitate it, right, which a lot of white nationals do, but actually kind of push it along. Go, go, keep going. Yeah, you, you're doing great. You're doing it. Oh, Obama, please. Can you elect Obama three more times? Can we make a, a constitutional amendment to allow him to stay forever? That's another thing. If we do, if we have this mentality, I think it will be bad for us. But that's just my personal opinion. Well, I guess you know. Ultimately, how do you bring? How does a monster like this get brought down? Though, I mean, don't would you say first? Well, already, first initial strategy would be to gather numbers. But the thing is, the thing is, the problem with numbers is that. Our numbers will multiply the moment this thing is that it's whether throat you know, cut and it's on the floor and it's bleeding out. And in that moment, people around it, they see the blood, say, holy shit, we have to do something. Your numbers, our numbers will multiply automatically. Our job is to be there and to, to be vocal and to be loud. In other words, we're here. Hello, guys. Remember us? That's a thing, right? And, and, and we have to have, in other words, we have to prepare ourselves for the situation. And the way we prepare ourselves is preparing our leadership and educating our leadership, and, and preparing ourselves to actually do the job that, that needs to be done, which is not make flyers, but to actually administer a nation, right? to have the professionals, to have the, the people that, that we actually need to create a functional state. Because we only have a couple of beer-drinking guys, you know, guys with machine guns, and shit is the fan. Trust me, these guys are not the ones that are going to build a state. They're going to be the middle-of-the-road kind of wishy-washy guys that are going to create the state, and it's going to happen all over again. So, in my opinion, what we have to do is to radicalize our leadership, create true leadership that is prepared for these things, and that is ready to take over, to take command of the situation, 
to manipulate the situation in our direction for our purposes. So when things do happen, we can actually take command of this thing, and we can lead in a radical direction. We can lead this new, uh, uh, the new creation or right, whatever it is, instead of allowing the, these other guys that actually have the preparation and the, uh, uh, the knowledge and the training to actually take care of everything. We're kind of screwed. We're on the sidelines again because we're like the freaks. We can't be the freaks. We actually have to be the guys that know what we're talking about. So I dedicate. That's why I don't write to recruit people. I write to, my, my purpose is sometimes to just get our own people and get them thinking in this fashion, thinking, okay, so we're the vanguard. We're here. What do we have to prepare? What do we need? We need engineers. We need doctors. We need that type of thing, right? We have to prepare infrastructure, and then we have to be vocal about it and let white people know that, we are here and we are prepared, and this is what we want to do. Um, and of course, you always get people that come to a movement based on these things. But the point, the point is that I, I'm practically thinking what happens when you know this goes down, and it's going to happen. All empires fall, and the United States is like there. Rome took you know a, lot, a long time, but the United States is basically there. It's, it's on the cusp, right? So um, I, I, it may not be in our lifetime. I, I wish it is. I wish it would be. Um, and well, I hope it's on cusp. <laughs> yeah, but but my point is, if it's not us, then we have to train our children to think in this fashion so they're prepared, they're ready to go. And and if you look at how nations are built and how revolutions occur, etc., usually you have a vanguard prepared, and it's almost like a religious experience for them. They prepare themselves like they go into a seminary. They're ready to go. They're they're training mentally, uh, you know, um, spiritually. They're training physically. They're they're prepared to actually take hold of the reins, right? And our movement is not ready. If right now that should happen right now, we wouldn't have a white republic at all. Some other asshole libertarian would take over, will take the reins, and we'll be back in the same spot. We'll have to start all over again because we would be on the sidelines. So if we don't want to be in the sidelines, we actually have to put ourselves in the center. And we're not ready right now, so we have to get ready. And that would be through a lot of education because education, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's not a cliche. So the more, the more you know about these things, I'm talking about like practical political knowledge, practical historical knowledge, the easier it is for you to, to shape, right, to shape reality for the masses, to shape the discourse, to shape the situation, to rebrand a problem into what you want to brand it. And every, the, the guys on the other side do it perfectly. We, we're sucking at it, so we have to do the same. So when something hits the fan, we go, oh, this is what it means, and we can reshape it because we have the capacity and the knowledge and the intellect to manipulate the situation in the, in the correct way. Manipulate in a good sense. For some reason, people are like soft about the word manipulation, but manipulation just means what it means. It's to take something and, and, and take command of it and direct it in the direction that we want. And this is what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to let other guys drive. We're supposed to take the the commander seat right and drive this freaking thing. We want to drive, we gotta be we have to know how to drive. And this is part of our preparation. Well when you I mean let's say for instance you had the libertarians right now, everything crashed, the libertarians got into play. Wouldn't that still leave a, a if not a better situation for white nationalists to get to a better degree at that point? Because the libertarians are, you know, if they're gonna live true to their word they're, uh, you know, you're not going to have a restrictive society like you do now. Yeah, but it's not going to happen like that because reality is different than fantasy. And libertarians are living in fantasy land because when you're at war, 
and there's people killing each other and they're shooting each other over a river, right, and trying to set boundaries. Not these fantasy-type boundaries, right? Like, oh, this river is going to divide. No. You actually have, you know, territorial boundaries based on how many people you were able to kill that they couldn't take over that territory, and then suddenly that's yours, right? So in real war, you cannot have a laissez-faire government. You're going to have a restrictive, very aggressively restrictive and centralized system. They can become libertarian later, right? But they're not going to be able to do it at first because you can never run an army like an anarchist. Libertarians are anarchists, let's be honest. That's where they come from. Um, so you can't have an anarchist uh, army. You're going to have to have an authoritarian, militaristic system. They're going to, that, that's going to be set up. And the guys are going to set up are not, not these uh, Ron Paul idiots. Uh, they're going to be like the conservative, gun-toting, conservative-type guys that are like ex-Marine Corps-type guys. Those guys are the ones that take over. Now, they may have ideals that are libertarian, uh, but we're not going to survive that spot because we're going to be seen as enemies of the state because we're going to be seen as the, of, of the danger in, in, in the border, right? We're going to be seen as the guys that want to go in and then kind of corrupt the system and, and make it like an evil, centralized, leftist government. Because remember, that's how they see us. They see us as collectivists, right? So if a true libertarian kind of general-type character would actually take command, they're still running martial law, a lot of us will be probably killed, right, or removed or not allowed in. Um, so I don't think it'll be that easy unless we're, we were really good at lying and manipulating ourselves into that situation. But again, it's too complicated. In other words, it's, it's, it's better to be in a position that when there's that guy doing that, we have another counterpart offering the same thing but better, right? And we end up fighting with him and beating him and replacing him with one of us. But if it's not us running the show, we're screwed. That's how, that's, at least that's how I see it. I don't see any other way. You know, it's, 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 it's not us. It's not us. It's not like, oh, but there's this other guy who seems, no. We're, 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 we'll be hated by everybody unless we are running the show and we are able to convince our own people that what we're saying is not radical at all, but what we're saying is the normal thing we want. And that's no state which your children can go to school without being harassed, where uh, you, you're allowed to, to be free, you can uh, replenish your numbers, uh, there's no crime, that type of thing, right? You do have to have some element of utopianism, right, to sell a state. But the point is, well, most white people would be fine with that. As long as you're not putting, like, swastika flags all over the place, uh, white people are following you along because they want the same thing that we want. We just have the, the, we just have the sophistication to understand what it, what it actually means, and they don't. But we want the same things. Well, 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 well. Hey, we're at a we're at the top of the hour here. I don't know if is this supposed to be a two hour or one hour. Or... Um, I have to ask the, the forum. I think it's two hour, but I'm not sure it could be one hour. I don't know. Um, you have to ask. Um... Well, um, that's Bob. That's <laughs> Bob exactly. Yeah, let's uh. Yeah, I kind of got exhausted at that one. That was uh, that was quite a bit, to, quite a bit there. Um, well, what we could do is uh, we could get into that topic a little more. Libertarian, yeah, I can, I can get into it. Yeah, I can get into it a little bit. I would like to actually discuss libertarians for a sec, when when you want to. Sure. Yeah, let's do that right now. Because uh, okay, so, I think we get into that topic quite a bit, and it's uh, it's a good one to get into. That's for sure. Okay. Um, okay. So what I would what I would do is because um, we were talking about libertarians. 
let's just give like a like a like a basics of what libertarians are. In other words, who these libertarians are. What's their what's the DNA? What what where are they the ancestor of the uh, libertarians, right? And libertarianism comes from the word libertaire, right, which is a French term, which just basically means freedom. It's not very not sophisticated, right? Um, but it was it, it started like in the 1800s, right, by anarchists, right? Joseph de Jacques is basically the one who started that, that concept. Um, and I've mentioned in other shows a guy named uh, Proudhon, right? Um, he's like the father of anarchists and syndicalists. Well, he's also the, somewhat the father of libertarians. So they're all connected. Libertarians, anarchists, and, and uh, syndicalists are basically all family members. They're all from the same tree. And the reason this is important is because libertarians in America sell themselves as a very American, this is America, something, right? But libertarians are not an American movement. These are, this is basically like a French anarchist movement um, because their objective was to destroy the ideas of the state. So the state is oppressive, etc. Now there's, which you could, you could say there's three types, right? There's the, the type that talks about natural rights. And if natural rights exist, this is like the Glenn Beck type of libertarian, which is the idea that natural rights exist and these rights have to be protected and the state usually is there to abuse natural rights. So the more freedom you have, the more natural rights you have. Um, you also have the type that believe that private property is absolute. There's another kind of Glenn Beckish type of thing. But private property is absolute because private property is the mother of liberty, uh, and therefore the state has to be limited because the state is a type of aggression, and aggression, state aggression, usually messes with your private property. And, and this is usually a argument against the state. The state is usually kind of screwing with you, trying to take your property somehow, either you're, you're through taxes or through um, uh, you know, penalties or whatever, but they're always trying to mess with your property. Oh, and they don't let you do things in your property, right? Like if you want to have like 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 three uh, sex dolls in your house, why not? And the government tell me no. <laughs> why not? It's my property, right? This almost absolute concept of, of property that no one should be able to, to infringe on. I can do whatever I want in my house because it's my house kind of thing. Um, and the other, and the, and the third type is the anarchist type, the one that says the, the existence of the state itself is evil, but libertarians are kind of like wimpy anarchists. They're not fully committed to anarchists. They're not willing to go all the way to remove the state absolutely. They say, well, we can leave the state for very few things like police and, um, you know, some management, roads, et cetera. And even roads, sometimes they don't like them. But, you know, basic stuff, you know, uh, fire department or something. Um, those are the three types. And usually most American libertarians are like a mix of them because, because, of, because America style, they just combine everything. Um, so I don't know if... if I think it'll be interesting to discuss these three aspects. So I, I know that we're going to, we may disagree on this. I don't know why I think we may. But for example, do you believe that there's such a thing as natural rights? In other words, the, the right to life, right to liberty. I have a right to live. I have, you know, that type of thing. Do you, do you believe this in, in particular or, or not? Well, no, not in reality. <laughs> not not, okay. not at all. Okay, me either. So, so there's no discussion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the thing is, philosophically, this is the basis of a lot of libertarianism. Because the idea is that you don't earn things, right, um, by, by anything. You actually are born with these rights, right? That you're born with a right to breathe, uh, a right to eat, a right to sleep, a right to dignity, these type of things. 
Um, and it sounds silly, but, 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 and I would argue that probably people who listen to our show actually do believe that these things exist, right? Uh, and, and you can, and remember, there's different ways of believing this. Because what does the American Constitution say? Uh, these rights are given by God. But the American Constitution is founded on the concept of rights that they're inalienable, that they exist naturally, that they exist uh, uh, inherently, that these things do exist, and violating these things is evil. This is the basic premise of, of American republicanism, and it's kind of like the, the basic premise of modern libertarianism. If you don't believe that rights exist, then it, it's almost impossible for you to be a libertarian, and it's almost impossible for you to be like a pro-American constitutionalist, because that's the basic gist of the American Constitution. Uh, of course, and, and, and I, I see it that way because I believe that you only have a right to live if you earn living alone, if you're able to survive. So there's not even an issue of earning it. It's just an issue of actually achieving it. Certain things are about achievement. <laughs> Do I cross the street? If I can't run over, were my rights violated? I was run over, so therefore my right to life was violated. That's the thing, right? Uh, it's not an issue of, of having a right to anything. It's an issue of, of actually earning it, of, of working it, or, or just having the luck to actually have it, right? Um, and that applies to everything, uh, uh, the right to breathe, the right to, to candy, the right to food, the right to shelter. These things are a little preposterous because no other creature in nature actually believes it has a right to anything. They, they either die or live, and they either get it or don't get it. It's not an issue of, uh, I'm going to start crying until you provide me my rights. Um, but, but that's the, the gist of uh, libertarianism. The, thing, the same thing with private property. The idea that private property is sacred, well, it is a great concept, right? It's a great idea, but someone can take it from you, and if you don't defend it, you don't have it, right? So private property is not a sacred thing. It's just a thing, and it's a very convenient thing, and for thousands of years, we would use private property effectively, at least you know, Westerners we have, um, because it's a convenient system for us to sustain, uh, uh, you know, sustain wealth and to uh, eat and to be able to raise children, etc., and private property is good. And historically, kings and, and monarchies respected private property because it was usually theirs anyway. Most of the private property is theirs. And if you did have people with property, they shared the property with the king or they had their own, and usually the king would not go and take your property. And then you can look at Rome, and Rome also had a conception of private property that was really sophisticated and it's a pretty, pretty good. Um, but whether or not the state can go into your property, it gets complicated because historically private property was not absolute. In other words, if your private property was within a kingdom, then that private property was sub submissive to the, the main guy, right, to the bigger fish. And the only way you could have absolute property rights would probably be if you became king yourself. And even then, you would have other kings trying to kill you and trying to take your property. So technically speaking, you, you, this fantasy you can actually have absolute property rights is a little utopian. You can try to achieve well, it. Well, it's simply mine's right at that level. Exactly. Exactly. You can try to achieve it, but the point is, you don't. Have, you don't. You're not owed private property. You're. You're. You're not born and suddenly. Oh, you. You took a breath. Here's a private property, and no one can take it from you. They take it from you. You can cry, and we'll defend you. I mean, it's it's, it's a ludicrous proposition. Um, and also the idea of the state that somehow the state is evil, um, and this is a very anarchist thing, right? This idea that the state that any form of organization is, is dictatorial and abusive because you shouldn't be told what to do. And, of course, again, we're talking about something that is a fantasy because, historically speaking, only very primitive type societies could actually achieve this type of level of, of lack of organization. But I don't think Westerners actually like this. I've heard some white nationalists tell me that, like, oh, that's not true. The, the German tribes were, 
they didn't have as much private property as Rome, but that's why Rome was kicking the hell out of them, right, constantly. I mean, it, it was not necessarily a good thing. Uh, one, two, that's not necessarily true. Germans did have a conception of, of government. They had kings, they had chiefs, and um, and usually he owned most of the property, right? Um, and uh, but, but the thing is, it was collected that property. I mean, people knew that this property was of, of the tribe, and everyone was, was sharing property, but they didn't have this conception that this is mine, and if you take it, you're, you're violating a right and you're some kind of evil person. Um, and obviously, the bigger a civilization gets, the more sophisticated and complex it gets, the more management and administration is going, to, is going to require. Now, we can argue about what type of administration is better, but that's irrelevant. The point is that some administration is going to have to be there. Some level of bureaucracy is going to exist. Some level of, of, um, of government will exist. And if you don't like governments, someone else is going to impose it on you. In other words, if you live in a farm by yourself and you don't want government, eventually some guy is going to come with an army and is going to kill your family and take your land. And then, you know, you can begin a great thinking about the, the wonderful concept of liberty, right? <laughs> but they took your land, they, took, they destroyed you, right? Um, so the, the three basic premises that I just described from, um, from uh, libertarianism, they're very similar to the whole constitutional republic thing, are somewhat, you, you can make the argument fairly well that it's illustrary, that it's predicated on a lot of utopian kind of uh, pie in the sky type of thing. And this is the reason when, when you tell me, Mike, oh, but people say that, that the current government is not like that. It's not like the original one. Because the original one really can't be. And, and you can see this from the beginning, right? I mean, no one can tell me a difference was like a true libertarian, okay? No one can tell me John Adams was. I mean, all these guys would put martial law, would put people in prison with like anything, right? I mean, they would do whatever the hell they wanted. Um, because in, in practice, these things don't really function, right? In practice, you're always going to have an oligarchy, a group of, of men that are going to take over government. They're going to realize that this stuff doesn't work kind of chaotically. We're going to have to centralize power, et cetera. And all governments end up in the same place, except that, that now you have a government that's dishonestly proclaiming itself to be one thing, but it's actually another. Um, and if you didn't impose uh, structures that protect you from allowing certain types to actually acquire power in your nation, then you're screwed because you have these people actually running you. And you're running around thinking you live in a democracy and you're actually living in a liberty, right? Um, so I, that's the problem I find with libertarianism, that it's so utopian. That it's, it's exactly like communism uh, in the sense it's so utopian and it's preposterous and it can never be put in practice. That's why in uh, Russia, communism never came. You only had state socialism. And you had a king because Stalin was a king. And you had a bureaucracy, which is the lords, and everything was centralized. And you have the same thing but with a different name. And people are thinking that they're like in a worker's paradise, but they're still living in the same thing, except worse, because the Tsar was better than Stalin, right? Um, so um, libertarianism, for those reasons, um, uh, I think it's uh, an intolerable, kind of unrealistic um, perspective. And, it's, and, and, and if you don't mind me saying, uh, people should read John Locke, and probably people haven't read John Locke, um, but John Locke's idea of what human nature is, is the it's the basis of a lot of these views because John Locke believed that, that human beings, and this is not, John Locke didn't invent this, but he made it very popular amongst uh, a lot of these theorists, that people are born with reason and tolerance, that human beings are born with an inherent sense of fairness and, and, and goodness and, and reason. And, of course, we were joking earlier about how people are like a bunch of idiots. So this kind of runs counter. John Locke, because the argument is that people inherently are reasonable. And I don't know how, of course, you can make that argument at the time, because 
the people that he ran around with seemed to be reasonable, but the truth is that the masses historically have never been reasonable. They tend to be emotional. Um, this is something Hitler understood, and a lot of other great men understand, right? That, that the masses tend to be emotional. And Jews understand this. That's why they're so effective, because they don't presume the people are reasonable. They presume they're emotional, and that's why they're successful. Uh, libertarianism assumes that somehow people, because they're reasonable and they're tolerant, they're going to have what's called spontaneous faithness, right? The spontaneous organization. That's what Pranhoi used to say, that if you leave people alone, they spontaneously create nice kind of bourgeois systems of, uh, of management, kind of nice, uh, effective government of, of uh, managing, property managing land. No one's going to steal. No one's going to, you know, cover anything, that type of thing. Exactly, exactly. Um, but, if well, don't don't, natural, but if you don't believe the natural rights exist and we're on the same page, do you believe in free will? And, and the reason I ask you this is because free will is the basis of libertarianism as well because the anarchists believed that free will allowed you to have no state, whereas if, if determinism is the reality, then determinism predicates that we have to have government. Well, that makes sense. Um, hmm. So you're not gonna you're not gonna vote libertarian in this election? <laughs> Me? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> well. See, the thing is, we will. I mean, I don't know. So the thing is that, that, that we tend to be very, like, extreme, like, oh, it's either free will or determinism, right? Um, free will, the idea that we absolutely, we absolutely have absolute control of our will, is, I think is unrealistic, right? Because you, when you, in the moment you're born, you're born with certain genetics, and you're born with, um, with certain predispositions, plus your race in a particular context, um, with a particular family. So these things kind of, we set you already to certain things. And that's not really within the context of free will. And I think the context of this concept of free will is, is, is what actually sells, for example, like the, the ancient European warriors didn't believe in free will, right? They believed the, like I'm thinking of like a lot of the Norsemen, right? They believed in the Norns, right? The Norns are the, the three women that weave destiny, right? So they believed that, look, if I'm going to die in this field, I'm going to die anyway because I have no control over it. So I'm going to fight like a maniac. And if I didn't survive, it's because I was not meant to die. That's the mentality, right? Um, so the, the fear of death was different. They didn't really fear death that much because I could die tomorrow, I could die now. And it's already predetermined. It's already destined. So what's the point? Screw it. I'll just go fight, and if I die, I'll go to Bahala, whatever, right? Um, but, the, but this idea of free will is different is the idea that once you're born, even if you're within a context, you still have a command, an absolute command of your choices, an absolute command of your feelings, an absolute command of your desires. And therefore, you don't have to really... You can actually forego your past and your parents and your grandparents and your ancestors. You can actually forego a lot of those things because you have a will that is independent of the universe. It's your own will. You're in your own thing, right? Um, and this idea can actually then uh, mean that you, you can do whatever you want. When, again, I can dream to be whoever I wish. I can decide whatever I wish. And therefore, if I do have free will, then who the hell is this government telling me not to eat this or not to eat that or not to walk here or that type of thing because I have free will? Um, but I think that, that at least the, 
there's more sophisticated views of free will, but simplifying it, most people see free will as I can do whatever the hell I want. Who are you to tell me what to do with that type of thing? And again, that goes back to the childish thing. But, but a lot of white nationalists participate in this because it's a, it's a very, very fun feeling. Who the hell doesn't want to say that? Who are you to tell me what to do? I mean, that sounds great. I mean, it feels good when you say it, right? Who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> it feels awesome, but it's, but it's, it's unrealistic. Uh, because, you, you know, a lot of people say that and they go, have to ask permission of their wife to go out the dark thing, right? I mean, the reality is that the world is a function. Yeah, they have to say, you don't tell me what to do, damn it. Then they hang up and then they go, hey, can I go to the supermarket for a second to their wife, right? I mean, my point is the reality is different than fantasy. And a lot of these concepts are uh, fantastic. Um, but, but it's interesting, though, because libertarians do believe in these things. So they believe in the natural rights. Uh, you know, kind of holy private property, it's like sacred and no one can invade it. The, the state, all state is evil because management is evil and the tribal society is better because people are free and they can, you know, have sex with everybody and no one can mess with them and, and they can scream at the top of their lungs, they can sing, they can be happy. It's kind, of, it's kind of gay if you think about it. And then you have the free will thing, right? <laughs> that you have absolute control of everything, of, uh, of yourself, no one can tell you what to do um, and they actually believe it, right? So, um, without boring people with these things, the point is that those are the basics of, um, of libertarianism. Um, and if you believe in free will, that's, that's fine. Um, but, it'll, but it'll be interesting to force these people to actually justify it, to actually tell me and tell you and tell themselves, okay, so if I do have uh, this type of free will that I'm describing, then what does it mean? What's, what's the, the consequence of it? Well, that makes sense. In in the sense that, um, well, there's certainly a lot of people that believe that, but it's uh, like I said, it's not reality in the means of uh, what's going on in the world. But uh, yeah, well, I don't, so do I don't know think, if you, you think, think, yeah, you, you think huh? libertarians? Do you think? Do you think how many libertarians do you think are in the white nationalist movement, Mike? I mean, you've been. You've uh, you've come in contact with uh, a lot of people in the movement. I mean, do you think that most people in the movement are, are white nationalists in, in your appreciation? Oh, absolutely not. I don't think most of them have a good grasp of what's going on. I mean, they um, I think they got a generic grasp of the surface stuff. You know, what Jews do as crimes and and their action, and they have you know they have an intrinsic. Uh, awareness that they're supposed to be around their own kind and that this multiculturalism doesn't work. Uh, they see what they're running around to do and, and such, but as far as a, an ideological or an ideology that that pertains to reality, you know, which is it's like, it's like when you tell, you tell somebody, um, you hear a lot from the leftists as well, and you tell them, uh, you know, oh, violence doesn't work. Violence doesn't work. Well, if it doesn't work, then <laughs> the Jews, you have America reigning supreme right now. Violence <laughs> um, yeah, works very much. It's always worked, and it always will work. Yeah, and, yeah of course. If violence doesn't work, you wouldn't go to, like, uh, white nationalist uh, rallies and insult the shit out of them and throw stuff at them, right? Mm-hmm. Because so, that's yeah, violence, I, I, right? I, I, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, you're going to have a lot of people that would consider themselves to be white nationalists. And it's like you said, it's, it's like you were saying earlier, too. If you have to sell the populace this idea of libertarianism or constitutional republic, as long as the ends are, are where they 
generally want to be, you can call it what you want. You know, and I've heard people say that, well, we don't need to call it fascism. We can call it, you know, uh, integralism or, or you know, whatever. You can call it whatever, but it's pretty much the, the basic points. Now, I'm certain that a lot of people would want to see a, um, you know, a lot of these things that they are granted to do by the government. You know, a lot of the things that you already are pretty much granted to do in America right now. I, I think a lot of things, a lot of those things are going to want to be carried over, whether it be the guns, the private property, which isn't really private property. Right? I mean, you still pay rent to the government no matter what. But um, this almost artificial notion that you're allowed to say what you want, you know, it's just, uh, so you there's still a... So do you basically think that if um, if uh, white nationalists created a republic in the United States, forget about Europe because that would be a different world, um, but here in the United States, you basically think that we're create like a like a new United States over like uh, with white people? You know what I mean? Like in other words, they would they would try to recreate. In other words, you're basically saying that Americans are so attached to this concept of the American Republic that they couldn't help themselves but create exactly the same thing again. I think it would end up something like the Byzantine Empire. I think it would be a free market, but with stipulations specifically state, no non-whites and no Jews. So as long as you had that, I mean, let's face it, even if you didn't have the perfect ideology of might is right, you had these artificial things uh-huh. going on and corruption. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Like I say, I, I think you would have a system that basically was like the empire. Uh, the yeah, excuse me, I had to get my charger for my phone, and all my kids are running around here. But uh, I think white nationalists would would probably opt to do a another constitutional republic with stipulations that state no non-whites and no Jews, and so on and so forth, which could work for you know a good while, but. Um, yeah, I think they'd probably... Would, would, they, allow, would like they allow parties? Uh, this is what is interesting. Would they allow political parties, you think? Uh, I think the ones that are a little smarter wouldn't. I, right. I think that probably... I would, I would probably... I'd probably go on the path to say that there are enough... Enough white nationalists realize this political party thing is garbage. I mean, that's that's a pretty basic well, that's, concept that's pretty of learning. Good. Yeah, that's pretty good then, because that means that they... By eliminating the political party system, this is creating a one-party system. That's legitimately what you're creating, kind of like what the Federalists want in the early United States. Like this, they hated parties, but they created a system that allowed it. Right? Um, so it would be a system that wouldn't allow political parties in the sense of what we know today. Um, and ironically, it would end up being then like a like a like a representative system without parties per se, but more like. Um, like, um, like I actually think of the word Soviets because the Soviets originally were actually that. The Soviets originally were uh, councils of particular type of um, of um, professions and groups, right? Like carpenters and whatever. And and they would have these Soviets, and these Soviets would actually be like the the, the ones that represented the, the desire of the people, and then they would actually send representatives like a like a larger Soviet. Um, yeah, I would even have to give the I would even have to give the benefit of the doubt to some. Uh, I've heard even quite a bit of libertarians say they would abolish the party system. 
You know, they wouldn't call it Libertarian Party or nothing. They would just abolish them all because, like I said, it, that concept of this left-right party, I mean, that's one of the basic things that people break out of once they start seeing the lies in society and they start breaking in out of the molds. It's one of the first things you start to see is this this left-right punch that you're getting from a Republican-Democrat. And obviously a lot of them initially go to, well, we need a third party. We need a fourth party. We need a fifth party. But at some point in time, they realize this idea of a party, which is basically another option of, uh, of, of not what I want to say manipulated control, because everything is manipulated and controlled, but another option that's, um, that's bull, that's bull crap, right? And, uh, and you have to fit this mold. I think most people have a good sense that they would rather see people run in a in a representative republic as as um, run under values and points on an individual basis. Like say, you could get somebody that they both say were against completely against immigration, completely against illegal wars, or whatever, or whatever, and then and then one of them will say. I'm for abortion, and one of them will say I'm against abortion, you know? And so they wouldn't fit into this stereotype, oh, I'm a Democrat because I'm for abortion, and I'm a Republican because I'm against abortion. It would just be, these are my platform points, you know? And I think that would that would certainly be a step in the right direction, like I said, because just get rid of the parties altogether because they're just garbage. I agree. The one thing I think that if this white republic doesn't, and actually the article that I'm publishing probably tomorrow or Monday, it's going to be called the Prefab Republic, and it's a criticism of uh, of a lot of new movements that kind of are pre-making, right, prefabricating a state. Um, but um, I'll publish it probably Sunday or Monday. But what I do think is necessary, and without it, it's like the end, it's militarism. And I know this may not be popular to some people, but uh, this is my opinion. My opinion is that if the United States, uh, if the, the Republic comes out of the United States, whatever its name is, right, um, uh, no matter where it is, if it's not militaristic, um, it's over. I think that militarism is one of the most important elements of any state. Um, oh, it has to be. I, I would completely agree. You have to have a supreme, disciplined, hardcore, large, technologically advanced military because that is the be-all, end-all of the might is right of a nation is the military. Yeah. And so and not if only that's that, weak, not your only whole that, nation's weak. Culture. Yeah, and not only that, but the culture. Because in, in, military, in traditional militarism, the entire culture is immersed in military culture. In other words, the, 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 the culture itself sees itself as part of a militaristic machine, as part of the military. And the United States is not that far. In other words, a lot of like, like uh, middle America type, uh, types, they actually are pretty militaristic. They love the the, the, the military. Right? My son is in the army. Uh, Americans do have a love affair with militarism in a weird way. They love the the, the uniforms. They love the, the the mystique of military. So it wouldn't be that difficult to turn that. And that's actually that would be my strategy. I would actually turn that, and I would use it to create a more militaristic but pro-white republic. But to put it in its focus, and I would actually even go further. I would say the only generals could be presidents, right? Like. Only high-ranking generals or marshals could actually be elected within, you know, whether it could be elected directly or be elected via like a curia type of system, like almost like a Vatican, right? That you have the top military commanders actually choosing one of them amongst themselves via vote to actually become 
person, that type of thing. Um, it doesn't matter the system, because that's something we don't decide now, that, that gets decided at that point, it can be any. And that's actually the criticism of an article, that we, we can discuss it, but actually presume to actually pre-make it, it's a little crazy. Um, but I'm just talking about my head, that's the type of stuff that I would like. Um, but I do believe that if the culture is not militaristic, if we don't promote militarism as part of the heart and soul of uh, this movement, then then we're dead because without militarism, without culture militarism, we won't be able to survive because we'll be killed and attacked. So only a culture that every single member is militaristic and views the world in a militaristic way and they praise the men that want to fight, they want to wear uniform, that, that view the world in that fashion, that are organized or disciplined and everything. And, and National Socialist Germany was a militaristic culture uh, and the same with uh, fascist Italy, et cetera. Um, and you could argue the British were before, and the French and the Spanish, and almost every European culture has been Spartans, etc. Romans were militaristic. This should be like the core value. And actually, I've done this research before. Like, if you look, militarism is usually criticized or just mentioned, right? Just mentioned, like, for example, Bismarck was not a military man, but he dressed in military uniform because militarism was so popular that the leader wanted to dress himself like a military guy, right? Like, it was like the, the cool thing to be in the military. Um, if we lose this, if we become like a like a new nation of bourgeois white nationalists, then it's over. We have to have a martial culture uh, of uh, of of uh, raising up these values of militarism. And well, they, when you ask me what to do, that's one of the things I would promote. I would promote militarism along with. Well, and and since the Jews got such domination over America, they they know that's a good strategy. That's why. If you notice, a lot of times, especially when they're speaking in a sense of having to go to these, you know, BS wars in the Middle East, they always refer, they don't refer to it as a president, they're the commander-in-chief, the commander-in-chief, you know, because yeah. that is just what you're saying, militarism sells, and that is what they want people, to, you know, and it's working for their side because it's a strategy that works. Of course, it works for them, but they don't like it for us. And that's the reason they usually criticize, and they usually exploit the weaker side of our movement, which is the libertarian side. Libertarians are like the opposite of militaristic, right? Um, they're very non-interventionist, which is legitimately okay. I mean, at this point, I'm not, I'm not interventionist because I'm, I'm, we're intervening as should we shouldn't intervene, and the people being intervened on are, 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 are actually their enemies, of, the, the enemies of our enemies, right? Um, but they, for our movement, a lot of our movement tends to be, no, I'm not into that, I don't like discipline, I don't like those things, right? But these are things that our population has to, 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 to have, and we should apply a Spartan-type militaristic discipline on ourselves, and it's difficult, um, because we have grown up as children in a very pathetic type of household, but we have to shed the skin, and we have to assume a love, uh, acquire a taste, for the, the, the martial values, for militaristic uh, aesthetics, that type of thing. Um, it doesn't mean that right now you and me have to dress up like uh, military guys and start marching on the street or like, uh, like Hollywood Nazis. We mean, we, what I mean is we actually have to believe it. Instead of just prancing around with a big belly and a beer in our hand dressed like Nazis, we actually have to promote these values. In the United States, you can actually utilize a lot of the sentiment for militarism and kind of shift it towards our direction when, when we are in a position that we actually can um, control a state and move a state, the militarism has to be at the heart of it. Our symbols must be militarized. Uh, our values must be about honor and fighting for what's right and fighting for valor and these type of good 
what I would call wholesome, true wholesome European values. Uh, it's even weaker values of uh, fairness and justice, and now these things sound very good, right? But, but more important, valor and honor and courage and all these things are very militaristic. I think those things will be um, uh, are important. If we don't have them, we'll be crushed, and we can be crushed anyway. But we want to have a head start. We want to have a foot up. We want to have some sort of defense, and if not, we're going to be destroyed. Well, absolutely, and that uh, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you that you know, as far as the militarism has to go, I mean. Uh, you know, again, and I think Americans have it. Yeah, and I think Americans already have that. I would say that the most positive aspect of the middle America type world is that they're actually pretty militaristic. They do love that their children. Oh, my child, my son is in the Marine Corps. They love the hell out of it. And a lot of guys in our military in the United States are pretty radical. Some of them are, are radicalized. Um, so, so, so I'm talking about especially kind of lower level, right? Not necessarily the officer corps, but, although you never know, right? You never know. Because the thing is, when you're in that world, you don't you, you have to follow a particular a particular worldview, right, um, to survive. Um, but the point is, we, we one of our strategies could be to basically kind of kind of hop in the bandwagon a little bit and try to redirect this um, this militarism and redirect it for our side, right? And kind of say, look, it's great that your son is in the military. Uh, that's awesome. But they're using him for like horrible things, and the government doesn't deserve your son. That type of thing, you know what I mean? That's the type of dynamic. And then little by little, kind of prepare ourselves for when the thing switches, we can actually have these guys on our side and their families. Yeah, that's one of the things I, I like to focus on with people. Like, if you're talking to more of those kind of individuals, like if you're trying to educate them on what's going on, you know, I like to use this liberty because it's a patriotic, pro-military thing to focus on, and it's a, you know an outright Jewish crime. That's so you know it's easy to understand, and so that's certainly one of the aspects I gather them on. And then if you just go on the fact that how you know it's it's good to be in the military, you have to fight, you know, and might is right, you know, because you get. A, Anytime you express any kind of dissent with a lot of these guys that are in the military, the first thing they think of is, oh, you're anti-American or you're some liberal hippie. And you go, look, you know, uh, if we get called to go to war with the right people and the right people are in charge, I'll sign up for free and provide all my own gear, you know? No, exactly, uh, that's, exactly. No, that's the point. No, I agree with you. That's the right strategy. See, in other words, we're not wimps against military uh, or fighting. It's an issue of who we're fighting. Um, and yeah. I agree with you. That's exactly what it is. I mean, remember, Americans in the old days, it doesn't matter who their enemy was. The point is, America in the old days, would, there's a war going on. I will go down to go over there, and I'll sign myself up right now. And there was an issue of valor, this, this valley, right, which is what made the American empire, right? Um, but um, a country that lost that, it's basically lost. Now, the people that do have it still are primarily white people, let's be honest. Most of the people that are hardcore into the old stuff, flag-waving and all that, unfortunately, are white Americans. But but that's the reason I talk about pushing the beast, right? Because we have to push the beast and point out that it's a beast to the people uh, that look at it. It's a look. We have, this this thing is a horrid thing. So we this this has to go, and we can make something new. Um, and um, so we have to encourage them to kind of let go of the flag waving, um, at least that flag, and maybe start flying other flags, right? You know what I mean? The, the flag of our cause, whichever that may be. Um, and there's a couple of them, and, and everyone is like a different flag, right? Um, and most of us can recognize it. I wish we would have a couple of, of symbols that, that were so 
general, I think the Celtic cross, for example, a lot of people use it, uh, but certain symbols that we could identify easily um, in a way that um, culture, especially at that moment when that, when, when that hits the fan, right, um, we, we should have already uh, a structure, right, that, that we're able to, to kind of organize ourselves with and communicate and kind of get together and start moving things, right? Um, so, no, but I agree with you. That, that would be the, the target of those it's those, for people that like you, because I know that's your kind of your strategy, is to um, to uh, educate people and to get them over to our cause. That's like your thing, and I agree with you. But that's the type of environment that is good to um, to use. And I even think the American Interpretation is doing something interesting by having like a presidential candidate that everybody knows is not going to win. But that's not the point. He's the only guy saying stuff that we agree with. So he and he's a very soft, approachable guy. So you can use that guy to go into those areas and get those kind of still flag-waving but kind of dubious about this uh, Obama in office type people to actually start crossing over a little by little. So um, I think it's, it's going to happen, but I don't know how soon this uh, collapse will happen. Yeah, not fast enough for me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I agree. And I think most people would agree, but um, that's why we all have to vote for Obama. <laughs> because... I mean, it's crazy. Hey, you might be kidding on that, but I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. No, no, no. I'm not kidding on that. He's, he's been like the best thing in the world for, for the white nationalist movement because he has uh, scared the hell of the bejesus, right, out of uh, a lot of uh, normal kind of mainstream Americans, right, and uh, has woken up a lot of other people. Um, but the reason is because that guy is the perfect symbolism of this is a cadaver, this nation, right? If you put this, this, this uh, guy, you know, this, this white man over there with uh, standing up there and talking about taking the country back. And, and he, I bet you anything, if he wins, he's going to say, we took it back, right? And a lot of idiots are going to buy it. Oh, we took it back. Finally, thank God, America's back. You know, oh, yeah, they'll buy, they'll buy themselves so much time if they get Romney in with this token yeah. black Condoleezza Rice chick. Yeah, it'll if just... He, if he picks her, yeah, because I think that's all, like, um, it's crazy. But anyway, yeah, I agree with you. The... The, the best thing could happen is um, is uh, Obama because uh, he'll, he'll always be a poster boy for, you see that guy that doesn't represent you, doesn't he? Okay, so he doesn't represent you, doesn't represent me, so there's something wrong. This country is dead, and the reason is that it's demographic is actually that's why I like the, 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 this election because if he wins, then you can actually make the political arguments and look, see what this means, right? This means that you have been defeated by America demographically. Non-whites are going to vote and block against you because they want your money for free. And therefore, if you didn't think that this country was dead, now this is proof and evidence. I mean, shit. I mean, there's so many. It's insane to me that they're not aware of it. But let's just keep, let's just keep putting nails in the coffin. Right? If you haven't figured that shit out, figure it out now. This is dead, over, right? So this election proves it beyond reasonable doubt, even more. You're demographically dead. You're destroyed. You can never again win an election. You can never pick a president. Therefore, you can never have any say in Congress. You can have any say in government. You, my friend, are garbage. You're like the lowest of the low. And not only that, but now you're hated because it's not like a minority that's benefited, like blacks who are like a minority that whites want to help. You're a minority that nobody wants to help you. So the only solution is to divorce, right, to, to break away. It'll make our case easier. When, while we, pre- we, we prepare ourselves, which is what I want our movement to do, is prepare ourselves 
for for this actual job, actually prepare ourselves for a job. Like we have to see it as a job that we have to do. We have to prepare ourselves for it. Um, um, so hopefully this idiot wins, so like this can can keep going further along. I can see it now. The Romney campaign says anti-Semitic racists vote for Obama. We got to get us anti-racist white middle class people to vote them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I hope I hope they they do the same thing again. They interview the Klan because you know the Klan. One of the I mean, there's like hundreds of Klan. One of them endorsed Obama. Like officially, we endorsed Barack Obama. Um, I hope they, they interview them again. And, with their hoods, and they say, yes, we support Barack Obama, and we want more change. <laughs> they do want more change, right? More change for the worst. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I hope, I hope that, that, um, that, that these white idiots don't think that by voting for Romney, they're somehow going to save this country, because this country is unsavable. It's, uh, you, can't, you can't save it anymore. And two, this guy's not going to, he's not able to save it. Even if he, let's imagine that he wanted to, he can't save it. Unless he has tanks, jets, and a whole army, um, he's not going to be able to change anything, right? So you're just wasting your time. You either vote for, um, for Marilyn Miller, which has a, actually a pretty funny name if you think about it. If you either vote for Marilyn, so you can do a magic trick and save the, the republic, or you can just accept that this country is messed up and you please help us topple it by voting for Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Please help us topple this nation. Vote for Obama. See, but the thing is, that would help the conservatives. So I wouldn't do it for just that reason because they'll, they'll think it's a joke. But it's actually not a joke. I actually mean it. Well, yeah, exactly. You can start putting our little Obama campaign stickers on the website. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Vote for Obama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm serious. Yeah, Obama. I'm down with Obama. Yeah, yeah, that would be crazy. Yeah, I would actually even do, like, uh, the stuff that the liberals do, like the communists do, which is we go to, like, websites and we fight with conservatives as if we're liberals too, so people would vote for Obama and defend Obama. Right? Anything possible to get this guy reelected <laughs> and finally keep pushing this thing down the precipice, right? I mean, so um, uh, I hope more white nationalists see it that way because I, I've heard, I have heard a couple of white nationalists tell me that, that, um, that, you know, this is unbearable, this Obama guy. I'm saying, what are you, are you kidding me? Yes, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're taxing you, but, but so what? what was that? They've always been taxing you. Taxes used to be higher before. You know what I mean? Like, in, in, if you look at the history of the United States, taxes have been higher, and they have been lower, too. Um, in other words, you're not safe. Just because you have some white asshole doing it doesn't mean that this country is it's, uh, it's, uh, peaches and cream, right? I mean, um, it's, it's over. Let's, get, you know, let's put them in the box. You know, let's uh, say a prayer over it and throw them in a the hole, right? Um, and get it over with. Uh, that's the way I see it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, yeah, I think also people, like I said, they hope we see it in our lifetime. I think people don't want to live in, in their whole lives. What they would feel would be in spite for nothing changing in their own lifetime, too. So you have that whole aspect of it. Yeah, but you know, they have. They, we have to. We have to be mature as a movement. And um, yeah, exactly. No, no, we, that's a, that's what we're talking about. That's the gist of what we're talking about. We have to be mature, and we have to let go of the dead. Sometimes the dead, we want to cling to the dead, but the truth is, we should just let it go. Sometimes and just accept the truth, 
He's dead. The witch is dead. What was that song? Yeah, the witch is dead. Ding dong, the witch is dead. <laughs> you know what, Mike? We should put that as a song for sure. Like, ding dong, the witch is dead. The thing is, that's celebratory when she's dead and she's not dead yet. She's still running around. But this witch America is dead. We should just push, you know, put in, you know, push her into the hole and kind of. We can. I'll take a shovel. You can take the other one. Just start throwing dirt on it, right? Uh, and get it over with. Come on. Let's uh, let's uh, get things moving, get rolling, and and um, if we if we don't see it, well, we may see it old, and we can't really do anything. <laughs> but maybe our children will be able to participate in that. So train your children, educate your children, learn from these crazy uh, Hasidim, right? I mean, they, they don't have TVs in their home. They have hundreds of books. They take those kids to, like, the yeshiva schools. They, they force them to learn how to destroy humanity, right? Um, and, um, and, and they're hardcore about it, right? They, they don't play games. They train their children for this. And they separate them from society, right? And they, they are very effective at training. It's almost like a military training, right, of destruction. Um, so we should do the same to our children, but for construction, right? Um, so we should... Teach them to, to look beyond the, the evil of the world, what we see today that we don't like, be positive, and then look forward to doing something actual positive, constructing something new. And that's actually pretty exciting if you think about it. We're not living in a time, we're living in a time of decay, but that also means it's a time of, of rebirth, of reconstruction, of starting something new. And, uh, and that's actually pretty awesome, right? I mean, if, the, if, if, if you see any nation being started, if you ask them, and it's a horrible time, say, yeah, it's a horrible time because we're fighting uh, a war, but at the same time, look, we're building something new. And it's an exciting thing when you build something new. When you build a mythos, right, when you build a new culture, a new civilization, and that's what we're supposed to prepare for, to actually participate in the development of a new civilization. Um, that's it. <laughs> well, I think that'll, uh, that'll, that'll about do it for tonight. Uh that's that's a good ending right there. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight and downloading this audio. And this is Chrissy Jenny at Radio with your hosts Mike Delaney and Severus. Uh, tune next week at the same time on Talkshoe here. Show ID six seven three three two at talkshoe dot com. And uh, this is like I said, hosted by Christogenia dot org. And we'll sign off here. And thanks, Severus. Appreciate it.